You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Chris Bennett, and I help connect businesses with tech freelancers, and I'm your host. Welcome, everybody. Uh, we're going to be discussing how to build processes to encourage employees to make the right choice when considering security. So we've got a fantastic panel of four people here today. Um, let's get some introductions. Erkan, you first. Yeah. Hi there. My name is Erkan Kahraman. I am a senior security advisor with AWS Professional Services based out of Stockholm, Sweden. Straight to the point, love it. Um, and second of all, we've got Lucas. Yeah, hi everybody. My name is Lucas Khan. I'm the Director of Information Security at Cinch. Hey, what? These are the shortest introductions we've ever, we've ever had. <laughs> um, Dimitrios, give us your introduction. Hello, everybody. My name is Dimitrios Tergiu. I am the Chief Information Security Officer for Trustly in Stockholm, Sweden. Awesome. And then finally, Georgios. My name is Georgios Kriparos. Hello. Uh, I'm uh, head of security at Tink. I'm also in Stockholm, just like uh, the rest of the panel. Perfect. And hopefully my introduction is pre-recorded, so that's already been said. Um, right. Let's usual format on the Nordics Evolution Exchange podcast. Um, each person or each panel member has brought a question or topic that we're going to be exploring. Um, the first question uh, that we're going to explore is by Erkan, and his question was how to build a security culture. In particular, what are the key elements of a security culture which spreads the entire organization? So coming to you, Erkan, give us some context about why you asked that question. Yeah, I mean, before how to build security culture, why to build the security culture, right? Because the, the topic you proposed to us was how to get people do what we want them to do. Uh, and to me, that's the culture uh, question, because often we talk about people, process and technology uh, when we talk about security. Uh, those are the three main domains we build our security controls on. And we tend to weigh more on processes and technology as security professionals, uh, but people are a key aspect of the uh, picture, uh, and people are often the weakest link. Uh, security is a, essentially a people problem. Attackers are people, victims are people, uh, and they're trying to get to people artifacts data. Um, so culture is important to me, that's why um, it is, it's important to build a culture to get people act in a certain way. We are all parts of different cultures. I mean, I am uh, I am Turkish origin. I'm a football fan. Uh, I live in Sweden. Uh, that all these different cultures, like as a football fan, when I go to the stadium, I don't know anyone there, but I know exactly what to do. I know what to chant. I know when to you know clap, when to whistle, because I know the culture in the football uh, stadium. Um, and it's kind of the same to build when you build a successful culture. People own security. Um, they they have a shared sense of sense of ownership, and they don't feel like security is someone else's responsibility. Um, 
that, that's how I that, that's why uh, culture is important uh, to build, uh, I believe, for successful security programs. OK, Georgios. Yeah, completely agree. Um, every company, people have their own culture and their own ways of being. I think uh, companies also have their own culture. Sometimes your personal values and your personal culture might clash with a company culture. So I think, first of all, for us in security, we have to choose the companies that are closer to how we are, what we believe in. And when that happens, then we will be able to work better in the in the goals we set. Um, overall, I agree with everything Erkan said about people, processes, and technology. Um, one story I can share about myself is when I joined Tink, it was predominantly one of the most characteristic things here were uh, the friendliness of everybody. So I definitely, it was my goal not to appear as the person who is here to enforce different things. Don't get me wrong, I did a lot of things, but the first year that I was here, I was extremely focusing on building relationships and, and building a good and solid security culture, making sure that I pass the message why we do security, do we do it for compliance? Do we do it because we believe in? Do we do it because we have to? You know, and, and that message was very strong. So my first year, apart from introducing processes and tools or whatever, the the light the lighthouse for me was making sure that I build good relationships, and that's all about culture. I agree. So, so you're kind of summarising. It's actually the key element for you is understanding the culture you're going into, yes. and then using that to help security. If you're going to work for the government or the police or a small startup or a huge corporation, you will behave differently. Um, and that's why I'm saying you will adapt a little bit, but also it has to fit who you are as well as a person. Lucas, what are your thoughts? I agree. And uh, I mean, it's it's I mean, that's the thing, because I mean, if you if you are working with the police, well, everybody has a certain type of mindset. And normally, uh, what I try to say, I mean, is that uh, we are on a construction site and we are building a bridge. And on a, on a construction site that builds a bridge, everybody has a protection helmet, a vest, protective gear, and uh, like uh, really good shoes. It's not just a security person with the West that's a security standing in the corner saying stuff. Everybody has that, and that's the and that's the mindset we need everybody in our company to have, because that's the only way it will work. Because I mean, I mean, you know the uh, Swedish saying with the weakest chain. It's just you just need one person clicking on the wrong stuff at the wrong time and then the weekend or the month or the year is ruined so it's important that everybody understands that and but at the same time it's important that we can find ways to communicate so that people understand and for me it's always around we're building bridges or we are taking our car to service and why do we service the car because yeah and you need to be make sure that the brakes are working or that i mean we have this different uh, requirements that you only during winter time you should use tires with the you should use snow tires or, or 
tires with spikes. And it's not that someone thought that, yeah, let's just implement that because it's good for the tiring business. Someone, lots of people figured, well, it saves lives. And that's what we try to do also. We try to uh, ensure that there's a company left that people have their work earn jobs. So, yeah. And I suppose the key element of that is is, is trying to get that um, that um, message to spread across the organisation. Lucas, have you got any kind of tips on how you begin to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think for my part, it's been it's been quite easy because I mean, if we work as a company who does business selling stuff, and your customer has expectations on you it's quite easy because then I would just say, well, I mean, um, my work isn't um, uh, running around creating a lots of new risk security requirements. The customer already did the job. The only thing I do is that I translate the, the customer requirements into a language that our internal people understand and then help them say, now we are in them. Now we're doing stuff that our customers are happy with. And now I believe that they might say that we need to do better in these and these areas. So most of the job is already done because our customers have so high expectations on us from a security perspective. So the most for my part, current and change, that's been quite easy. It's like, yeah, want to sell more? Well, let's fix this. If you don't want to sell, I mean, don't fix anything, and then the customers would leave. So it's a, it's a, it's not, it's it's not me uh, creating or enforcing requirements. The customers already do that for me, so it's been really good. Um, Dimitrios, what are your thoughts on this? What what are the key elements? No, I, I agree with what the guys said. Uh, obviously, security is not one person's job, so the whole company needs to pitch in, in in any way that affects their business areas. What we try to do at Trustly is I try not to talk about security culture because when people hear security, they think long lists of things that they need to do. They think a lot of no's and, and generally they think more like policeman than consultant, right? So what we try to talk about instead is risk culture. And we are a fintech, which means by definition, we understand the, the idea of like financial risks and credit risks and all these type of things. So instead of going to a discussion and telling people, okay, let's take care of security, I start asking very simple questions, which is, okay, what can go wrong? And why will it go wrong? What will be, how sad are you gonna be if this goes wrong? And can we do anything to prevent it? And that facilitates the discussion with non-techie people. So obviously if I'm talking to the DevOps people, yes, they understand threat and vulnerability and, and everything and they will speak to me. But if I'm talking to HR, it's easier to understand what can go wrong than understanding everything else. Uh, so I think security culture is, um, it's, it's a tricky thing because I found myself many times wonder how could this happen? How could we not see this? And apparently not everybody has the same background as me, right? So my main goal with security culture is to tell people that my door, whenever I have a door, which is not lately, but uh, my Slack is open. So even if you have like the simplest, stupidest possible worry that you can have, just ping me and we discuss. 
And the way we measure success is how many people actually will ping me on Slack, right? So we went from one person every two months when I started in the company three years ago to nonstop bling, 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 bling on Slack right now. So I consider that a good measure that we are trying to be risk aware and, and manage the risk culture. Yeah. Uh, can I'll give you the final comments. Yeah, no, both uh, everybody had really nice uh, remarks that I would like to touch upon. Uh, Yorgos mentioned why the importance of uh, communicating why we do security, uh, and that really enables uh, your leadership support. If you communicate why you do security, and if you can show the value of security as a business enabler, um, Lucas gave a good analogy of cars and brakes there. Like I, I often give a similar analogy as well. The sec security, having good security controls are like having good brakes in a car. They are not there to slow you down. They are there to enable you go faster. Because if you don't have secu if you don't have brakes, you wouldn't dare to go fast. Um, a, a customer of mine recently came to us asking, uh, seeking advice on how to make the security team more agile because his boss asked him to make the security team more agile. In reality, what this meant was not faster time to market or more DevSecOps type of uh, workloads. In reality, it meant that the management saw security as a, uh, not as a business enabler, but as an obstacle. And it's important to uh, communicate the message and how security become a business enabler instead. Uh, and Dimitrios also gave a very good example of uh, how being approachable uh, is important and uh, how he rewards the behavior when people approach him. I would also very much rather people ping me in the middle of the night for a potential security vulnerability. Sometimes it turns out that it's not a security vulnerability and I hear them being a little ap apologetic, like, oh, sorry to bother you. This, this didn't turn out to be an issue. And I would much rather to have a thousand false uh, tickets like that than one uh, one actual security issue that wasn't escalated or wasn't uh, informed about. So it's really important to be approachable. It's really important to have that door open. Perfect. Okay, let's um, let's move on to um, Lucas's um, statement. I, I think there's a question in there as well. So. Um, Lucas mentioned for him it's about creating situations where the right choice, the right path, uh, the correct method is the easier, simpler choice. Uh, Lucas, do you want to give some context around um, how you go about that? Um, and then we can go around uh, the rest of the, the panel to see how they do it. Yep. So, I mean, I think for me, it's, it's yeah, in this case, it's about, I mean, uh, availability uh, and um, uh, and uh, having uh, processes in place that I mean somehow enable teams to I mean that shortens the timelines and I mean one one perspective would be shadow IT so basically I mean uh, I'm working and I need something and uh, it, yeah and then it's just like it's easier for me to just uh, subscribe to a service online or download something ah it's fixed my problem and then i have introduced something uh, yeah something risky within my company but uh, for me it's it would be like okay so let's let's um, 
let's have a easy uh, uh, first of all let's ensure that people understand uh, how we order stuff can we have like a quick uh, button on desktop saying a, a company portal you just click it not every apps have installed but you have all the you have lots of apps available there that are pre-approved you just click there it's downloaded and you can keep working so there i mean you minimize the need for someone to to introduce a risk just because they believe that approaching the security team or asking for approval will take such a long time and they have no they cannot wait for that long time so they just try to solve the issue themselves so uh, just as Dimitri was saying it, I mean having that open door but also understanding that there's a business running in the background so you need to figure out what's important right now is it important that you spend uh, four hours doing a full vendor uh, application security uh, assessment or is there ways that you can really easily establish a process in place saying that yeah we have these processes in place we have this assessment criterias and based on um, uh, this and this uh, marketplace feedback so these and these different tools when someone asks for an application we can get a really fast turnaround uh, on the assessment thing that yeah uh, this seems to be a good tool they do security updates then and then they uh, yeah they honor gdpr they do this and this and you can really approve stuff in a really efficient way but also as i said the idea by having the company portal where uh, like 200 applications of the most common i mean if you do go around the internet and say it's google most common uh, SaaS tools or SaaS applications or business applications used and then you're just like okay team let's just spend one week reassess them just we publish them on a portal the ones that we think are good and approved and then how much um, shadow it or extra hassle would that save us by just publishing this mm. and uh, just i mean how, how can we <laughs> how can i know what you need before you needing it okay um georgios can you predict the future <laughs> of uh, creating the right path uh well first of all no i cannot predict the future i can have glimpses of what's happening usually from uh, being around and being approachable but when it comes to what uh, what lucas was talking about um there's two aspects i generally split my work in two areas the corporate side which is the things that lucas has been talking about and then the product side and for most companies and i think for most of our companies our product is has a lot to do with software and it in general right so on the corporate side i agree something like a portal with pre-approved stuff um, take the extra burden to review maybe three options and then choose one and go with one that one and make it available for everybody in the organization absolutely 100 there is the other aspect though and i and that's my a bit of my frustration with security personnel because we put so much effort on these aspects, on the vendor management of things. And then we have our environment. 90% of the companies, in my opinion, these days are tech companies. 
whether you, it's the famous thing, right? We are even the airliners say we are just a tech company with airplanes. So your product will eventually have IT. Spotify has done a great thing. They introduced this thing called the golden path. I think uh, AWS has something similar. I just don't remember how it's called. So pretty much they give to their engineers a standard way of deploying code and infrastructure and services. And they say, we have packaged this in a way that for you, it's easy, simple, fast, and you don't have to worry about it. And a lot of the security is built into that. In all the places I have worked that I could contribute in that way, that's what I've been trying, to make it easier to do the right choice uh, by packaging security as much as possible. And you will not capture all the corner cases. You might not even have all the requirements you want in there, but at least you have something. And if you want to fix that something, you have one place to fix it. So standardizing not only your corporate environment, but also your product development is going to take you a very long way. And I think this is the only way how you can scale the security teams. Because, I mean, it's been said so many times, right? You have 100 developers, 100 sales, 100 marketeers, and you have five security people. Mm. They cannot be everywhere. <laughs> Demetrios, what are your thoughts on this matter? Yes, so I, I definitely agree, uh, especially with uh, George. I do split my time as well between corporate and uh, and let's say product. And uh, the biggest problem I have is that is that I feel sometimes I spend time on the corporate side for no good reason. Um, good example is vendor risk management, right? So, yes, I, I understand the need of it, but. I sometimes I feel I spend time that I shouldn't be spending. Like I don't have any direct impact on the vendors. I can only decide should I use them or not. And if you're talking about a bigger vendor and they don't play as we would like them to play, what are my real options? None. So I do have to focus on the product side or on our production side. And we have taken a similar approach to what George described, which is we try to give people tools that integrate with their tools to, to try to do the right things without them having to go too far. So examples of that would be we use a lot of Docker stuff. So instead of pulling an image from the Docker uh, hub or whatever it's called, we have pre-approved images in our uh, internal private registry. So at least you know that that image is in a decent state. We, we use obviously a lot of third-party dependencies. Who doesn't these days? Between Maven, NPM, and all these repositories, we probably... I don't know, 60% of the code you run is not your code. So we, we pass it through a bunch of tools so the developer can say that, okay, that version of the library I'm using is problematic. Maybe I shouldn't. And even if they had the good intentions, they know that that dependency might lead to some kind of problems. So we try to give them as much tools integrated to their process as possible to be able to do the right choices. And hopefully they will, but sometimes they will go, you know what, I don't care about the vulnerability. I need to push that feature today and good luck to us. And, and then that's when things break. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wait, you want to jump in there, Georges? I, I wanted to share a personal story before Erkan says, related to Erkan, actually. Uh, so I had auditors. That's The things we're discussing really um, strike me when I meet auditors. I had this auditor who was trying to persuade me that I need to do vendor management, that I have to spend more time on this. And one of the examples they said is, okay, what are the network security requirements of Tink? And I said, this and that and blah, blah, blah. And then they said, okay, who are your suppliers? AWS is a supplier. 
So AWS is our biggest supplier. And they said, have you communicated with AWS your security requirements? And have you told them that this is what you need from them? Well, Good luck. Like, <laughs> in which world are these people living in? Like, if, if, if the sales organization wants to use Salesforce, as a security person, you can say how you can configure Salesforce, how you can access it, who should, I, you know, these type of things. But whether you will do it or not, Yeah. yeah, and in which world our security departments are better than AWS's or Google security departments? I mean, we use Kubernetes, right? Which is a Google product. Is there any way that our people are more security capable on Kubernetes than actual Google? Like, I don't understand what I'm supposed to to due diligence there. Uh, anyway, sorry, Erkan. No, it's good points. We're advertising you anyway, so you go ahead. <laughs> I also have a, a, a similar real-life example on the subject uh, that Lucas mentioned. Uh, in my previous role as the Chief Information Security Officer of Synchron, I opened up the sharing settings of all our teams, uh, SharePoint, OneDrive, so that when uh, our internal employees wanted to share documents with third parties, they, they could do that directly. They could invite externals to our Teams channels. They could share documents directly from our OneDrive or SharePoint to external parties. Uh, and the reason I did that, because if I didn't do that, they would just go ahead and use OneDrive or Box.com or whatever else. At least by doing that, I am making it easy for them to share documents directly from their uh, our existing corporate systems. I could then build guardrails around it, monitoring around it. Whenever a document is shared, I get an alert and I know what is shared exactly. Um, so, so yeah, I also agree with that point. Okay, I'm just conscious of time, so um, we'll, we'll move on to Dimitrios. I think it's a, there's a bit of overlap, overlap, overlap in this question, but I still think it's worth exploring. So Dimitrios was asking, uh, should we give users choices or should we try to pre-make decisions and avoid putting the, them in the, should I do this position? So Dimitrios, tell us about your experience of this, why you asked the question. Sure, so we kind of touched upon it and generally in tech companies you will have two kinds of people. You will have the techie, techies that they understand what's going on and they want way more freedom to install tools on their laptop or start a new configuration of the server and see what happens. And then you have the people who use a PC or a computer as a tool. And I'm thinking more like finance and you know HR no offense, they're moving more into tech, but traditionally they see it as a tool, right? While the, the tech is, they see it as the extension of what they do. So we, we had always the discussion how strict we should be and how much should we trust the users. Like a very typical example that we get yelled at, and I don't know, George, if you get yelled at is, should we have a USB enabled on the laptop so then someone can copy data? Or should we give people admin access to their laptops or should we expect IET to deploy all the software from a centralized location? And generally, I have to be honest, I've, I've went more to the freedom side because if I'm trusting the engineer to develop the software for the finance service that's a, that transacts billions of euros, I should be able to trust him to not put a USB and copy files or install a stupid software. Um, I do, however, see a good value for technology. And a good example we had of that is, I'm sure that all of you, you get a lot of phishing messages. So at some point when Google 
which is our mail provider, gave us the opportunity to put a big orange box that says this mail came from external. Uh, we saw that people that used to use to read mail on mobile, they became way more vigilant with phishing. Because by definition, a mobile device doesn't give you a lot of real estate to verify the headers, even if you know how to do. But when they started seeing that box, it became much easier to combat phishing. So I do believe in user education, but users come and go. Technology is a bit more stable. So if you can find good security controls to put in place, I, I will weigh putting them in place first, and then for whatever they do not cover, then try to educate the people that there are some edge cases that our technology cannot protect. And I'm going to stop here so the other guys can jump in. <laughs> no, it's a brilliant point. Um, Lucas, I'll come to you first. Yeah, just, I mean, I I agree. I think that the, the tech is, uh, in, I mean, it's advancing so fast that, that, I mean, there's lots of new mechanisms where uh, we can make lives easier for our staff. And I think uh, one of the, I mean, the, the box that says, yeah, this, in a, this is an external message. That's really nice. But what I recently saw a new feature in uh, that's been, uh, I, mean, I guess, implemented a while back is the message that says, uh, you got an email from uh, Georgios. You normally, uh, you rarely receive messages from him. So that's uh, additional, uh, I mean, so people, you don't receive emails from that often. They will get an additional box saying that, yeah, it's external and this is the first time you're getting an email from this person. So it, it increases awareness. And I think, I mean, our path is to make lives easier for everyone. And by doing that, we minimize the, the times they are in a situation where they need to do something and then they are forced to do something that, I mean, that helps them right now, but that introducing something bad later on. And uh, the decisions, yeah, uh, I mean, the way to avoid is that just to, I mean, what, what I try to say is that uh, I want to create an environment where you as a developer or an entrepreneur or creator you should be able to do whatever you need to do uh, without being scared of every click or that everything you do will cause harm. Because if, if you come to that point, then I have failed at my work. So what I want to do, I want to do, I will do a lots of stuff in the background. I'll be checking this, I'll be monitoring that, I'll be doing a lot of stuff. And I, would, I want to do that just so that you can focus on what you are good at. You are a creator or designer or, or developer. Go do your stuff and don't try to focus on all the address, other stuff that will distract you. That's my job. Let me fix that and if possible in the background. So you, do, you don't have to worry about all of that. Georgios, what are your thoughts? I want to comment on both uh, gentlemen. Um, so on Lucas at the end, yes, that's exactly what I'm telling them. I'm here to take the burden as much as possible from you. On the other hand, unfortunately, I cannot take it 100%. As we know, security is shared responsibility. People say that, right? We're the weakest link, la la la. We have to rely on users as well. We cannot relieve them from any liability and any danger. So 
even though we try, we do have to work a little bit on this education part that we discussed in the beginning. And I want to pick on the, the USB thing, how harsh you are. Uh, when I joined Tink, the very first person I met and the very first you know, kitchen interaction I had was a, a designer who told me, so you're the new security guy. I said, yes. So you're here to take away our USB ports, I assume, right? That's why they hired you. And I was like, no, we're not. And to this day, we haven't disabled USB ports. And if you think about it, it's just going to be a huge annoyance. It's what Demetrius was saying, like, people will find another way. So I have this comment very often because my customers are banks that they say, how is it possible that you don't have blocked your USB ports? What about data loss prevention? What about when people will steal your data and blah, blah, you know? And I say, okay, have you seen this device? It's called a phone. People can take photos with it. Like I don't need most of the times a USB stick. Yeah, if I'm going to live with gigabytes of data, sure. But it, usually you need the small pieces of information. So I don't need to do even anything on my laptop. So why blocking the USB port so that I just make it more difficult for people? And I'm not the guy who will say that USB ports should not be blocked 100% because I have given presentations on how they can be abused. We've, we know that Stuxnet happened because somebody plugged in a USB stick on this nuclear reactor in Iran, you know, but, uh, or factory. No, where was it? Uh, how is it called? Nuclear facility, anyway. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, you cannot be paranoid. Uh, I can tell you stories about the USB things and big banks and how they think that they should solve the problem. But uh, both gentlemen are right. Try to make it as easy as possible without being unnecessarily paranoid, I would say. Come. Yeah, definitely. In an ideal world, we would have automated security controls, guardrails to prevent any type of wrongdoing. Uh, but sometimes in reality, where you have legacy systems, a recent example I had again in a previous role is that like 62 servers or 62 systems failed the uh, security check out of 100 systems. And uh, and I can reach out to that uh, product owner and say, you know, 62 of your systems failed. You're a bad person. You should be ashamed of yourself. And or I can implement the technical control to kill those systems, uh, which would bring down the entire product. Uh, not ideal either. Or I can just give them a, you know, give them data and give them knowledge and opportunity to like out of this many systems, this much of them have failed. This is how you fix them. Or even better, here is a tool for you to take action on um, and follow up on. So yeah, technical controls as a preventative measure, yes. But like when you're trying to deal with legacy systems or uh, critical business uh, functions that require uptime, may not always work. Okay. Uh, the whole processes and technology, right? You mentioned it in the beginning. Yeah. Dimitrios, I'm going to give you the final word on this one. I think we've got enough time to uh, get through Georgios's question. Good. No, I, I do agree with Erkan. Um, there are cases where technology will not help you, but that's when the security and risk culture should kick in, right? So um, that product owner with the 60-plus servers failing, they have a boss and they, that person has a boss and eventually you get up to the CEO. And if the management isn't willing to fix the risk, then they accept the risk. And if Lucas or me or George or, or Erkan have done enough 
enough of a good job to explain the problem, possible solutions, how much it costs, and the management decided we're going to keep the 62 broken servers, then I feel comfortable and I can sleep at night because that's where I feel that my job ends. Perfect. Okay, final question. Um, we've got about just under 50, we're just over 15 minutes to explore this. Um, so, uh, Georgios, uh, your question was to when to hug and when to yell. What type of security leadership does your organization need? Um, so give us an idea on your thoughts, Georgios. Yeah, uh, it's a bit uh, provocative, of course. These days you cannot hug anyone, even with a vaccine, but, uh, but definitely you can yell. Actually, maybe you cannot even yell because you cannot. <laughs> uh, not only for HR reasons, but anyway. So the, the whole idea is um, we have uh, Traditionally, when I started my career, the security person was seen as this very authoritative person that is, the role is to be strict and, you know, block things and all this. I think we have gone a long way from that image in general, but there are still places that you have to decide when to be strict and when to, you know, say no, and when you have to be uh, enabler, you have to be friendly, you have to be understanding of the, each other's position and problem, right? Um, and the question, what type of leadership you need is, is very much dependent to the first question. We come back about culture, about where you are, what, what, does, what is the company you are in expects from you and what can you give them? Um, I'm doing both. I'm trying to be more on the hugging side than on the yelling side, but there is places that you need to, it's, it's, when you lead or manage people, depending on how you want to say it, a lot of a lot of my colleagues always say it's like dealing with your own children, right? There's going to be moments that you have to be and say no, but you have to love them the majority of the time. And that's the same for your company. You have to love your company. You have to understand that you work there because you want the company and your colleagues to succeed. You cannot be just saying no, no, and yell and yell and yell. Mm. So mm. when you do it, it has to mean something and it has mm. to give a message like i don't say no i've said like two or three times i think in think no but it was a no is, is that today <laughs> no not today it was not one of those days <laughs> um okay let's go to Erkan. yeah what are your thoughts around um yelling and hugging oh yeah yeah, I guess yelling is never okay. <laughs> um, I mean, saying no is of course uh, necessary. You have to be the brake sometimes when the uh, when the IT train is going too fast or uh, or there are risks ahead. But I I believe in positive encouragement. I always think that you know even with my wife at home, it never works when I tell her that oh you left the dishes in the sink again. But it does great job when I tell her. Oh, you wash the dishes such nice of you and and that type of positive encouragement i think is uh, the way to go until she sees it as patronizing <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah here's a sweet uh, <laughs> okay um dimitrios hugging yelling um, all right. So, so first of it. all, I feel betrayed by Erkan because I would expect that as the Mediterranean people, we will do yelling without feeling uh, ashamed <laughs> about it. Uh, so I'm sure George and I were quite loud and we yell a bit. So 
I first of all I do an equal part of yelling and hugging, but to different target groups. So I hug the uh, the operational people in the organization when they do something good, and I yell at the senior management because 95% of the failures we have is because it wasn't adequately supported by senior management. If a developer fails to do fails to do security testing because he was pressured to deliver the feature today, it's because their boss and eventually the CTO didn't put enough emphasis on the security testing. They put it on the deliver the feature. So I'm going to yell at the CTO. On the other hand, if a developer comes to me and says, hey, I'm really worried about something, I will hug that person because they went outside the comfort bubble. The only other reason to yell is when people will deliberately ignore what we have agreed. So if I agree with a developer that the login page will be, I don't know, 12 characters password, and they ignore me and they make it eight after we have discussed it, I'm gonna yell a lot. If they did it, Without talking to me, I'm not going to yell, but I will educate them why six characters isn't really a very good password. So it's a mix of things, but I think I, I yell mostly at the senior people and I hug mostly the more junior operational people. That's a nice, nice mantra to live by that, actually. Um, Lucas, what are your thoughts around this? So I most, I would say my team quite often feedbacks to me around I mean, how come I'm able to keep a poker face when I'm sitting in meetings? And they can be like, I mean, they can be quite emotional. They're chatting me and they're like, this is crazy. And I'm like, they're like, why are you so calm? And I think for me, most of the time, it's important to show that, yeah, fine, this happened. I mean, I could do a lots of stuff, but it normally wouldn't help the situation. I already have a lots of people yelling and screaming anyway, so it won't add to the, me yelling. So for me, it's more around uh, uh, keeping, I mean, I would obviously not hug them if they put me in a strange situation, but it's more around being the person that can uh, help um, introduce and reassure that we are, when that would happen, whatever happened, we can fix it or yeah, it, 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 it's never as bad as we think. It's always, it can always be worse. So that's what I tried to do. But I mean, and a bit, I agree a bit with the Demetrius is that um, um, I'm quite open and supportive with most of the people and I, I feel that most of the staff are quite approachable and are easy. I mean, people understand a lot of stuff, but uh, I but the the most of the times where I will be more strict and actually say no or say. You put us in a really bad position, that's I I I tend to do that more often with managers because for some reasons there's always a manager somewhere who believes that rules are not for managers. Rules are for the simple people and we and I as a manager, well, I mean, I don't need to follow the rules. So I tend to need to be more strict with managers saying that you as a manager 
when you do this, it's not, it's not, I mean, you're not being the role model you need to be. You're not showing the way you as a manager, you have more approval rights or access rights. You will create something that we can't recover from. And I am not happy with you. With you. I am now considering if I should go talk to your boss with you included to understand why you do stuff like this. And I actually uh, created a term which I call serial clicker. Because sometimes it's always the same person who thinks that they won the lottery or thinks that someone is sending them a package or I mean always approving stuff without considering the consequences. And those are my my major pains, the serial clickers. OK, I'm going to um, I suppose I'm put to the rest we've got a, a few more minutes left but has anyone got any final thoughts on this George? yeah yeah uh so the serial clickers like when i did the a phishing campaign i actually we had a couple of people clicking things and there were some people who were clicking two times also <laughs> and it was some of our most senior people both engineers and management and uh, without naming them of course i actually did make a point of who what profile of people click twice and why nobody's um above you know suspicion let's say for so about that uh in general i want to stress that of course i'm not yelling and i assume dimitrios because he's very zen usually i don't think he's yelling either but uh oh you do okay whatever <laughs> <laughs> so i'm not yelling but uh, even when i come close to yelling but it's a more uh, idea of like when will you be more strict and when will you be more lenient um, when it comes to leadership i think there's a lot of things uh, that you have to do with positive reinforcement and by leading in the way that you are as a person i'll give you an example that i didn't think about it too much today in the morning when i walked in we have this uh, dispenser which uh, if you turn a button there's like some nuts that come down so you can put them in a glass and you can eat some nuts and there was one of these dispensers that I wanted to take and it was blocked. So I was trying to fix it from underneath and a girl comes by, a lady comes by and says, you know, you can open this and you can put your finger inside and take whatever you want instead. You don't have to go underneath. And I told her, yeah, but what good, that would, what good would that do for the next person? Like the next person will have to do the same. So I, I'm, I was trying underneath to fix it. Eventually I semi-fixed it, semi-broke it, I guess. But it was interesting, like I go off for five hours to meetings and then I come back and she's like, you know, I've been thinking about what happens today in the morning. And I realized like, yeah, I mean, this is what you do because you're working here for everybody. I'm like, yeah, that's my role. I, I do the security things for the benefit of all. I don't do the security things for my benefit. Um, and I think this is kind of engraved in all of us who work uh, in security. I think we're a little bit masochists. We actually suffer a little bit for the common good, I think. Uh, but when we do that and when we actually we don't become the serial clickers, we actually follow the rules that we put out for others, then we lead by example. And that's how you create a good culture. That was, you know, again, the first thing we talked about. So I'm a very big proponent. And I had in the past actually colleagues of mine that I saw in security who were complaining about a website that had too long passwords or two-factor authentication. They were like, oh, come on, this is so inconvenient and security questions back then. And they were mandating it for their own products. So you have to do as you say. Any final comments, Erkan? 
No, I think uh, Yorgos uh, wrapped it up nicely. I'll leave it there. Dimitrios? I have to defend my honor. I really yell. I love yelling. <laughs> I live for these moments. I'll give you an example where I yelled really much. Um, at the previous job, one of the people decided to get a shadow IT subscription to a service called Airtable, which is like a very nice glorified Excel. So far, so good. Then what they decided to put on that service was the risk registry. Not ideal. And then obviously what they did is they didn't want to pay out of pocket for that. So they submitted an expense report to their manager and their manager approved. So I don't love the fact that they got that service. Fine. But then I go to the manager and I ask, do you know what this is the thing that you approved? And they go like, no. And then I yell because, I mean, you are supposed to be the, the control here, right? So the developer didn't know better. They made a mistake. Fine. We can fix it. But you're supposed to control it. So how... How are you not seeing this? Why are you not asking the question, why are we paying this money? Uh, so this is one of the yelling times. Other than that, no, I do agree with uh, what, or I'm very aligned with what we have discussed. I do feel that we, our role is to, to support the organization, other senior people or less senior people in different ways, consult maybe the more operational people and advise and put management in front of their responsibilities many times. And uh, hopefully people will, I don't think they will love us eventually, but they will understand why we are saying the things we're saying. And necessary evil. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Lucas, final thoughts? Yeah, I just want to set it straight. I mean, even if I don't yell a lot on the outside, it's a lot on the inside. <laughs> so, so, so that I don't, so don't, don't feel that I'm the calm one. Okay, it's a lot on the inside. We should it's meet like for group therapies and all of yeah, us. Yeah, and then and then I need to like, and then it's good to have your stash with like uh, dark chocolate to get all the levels down to the to the baseline. I, I mean, for that, I have to say, I used to have a manager, a boss, once that he during lunch he was going to the gym and he was punching a bo um, how you call it, the boxing bag, uh -huh. <laughs> just to get the energy out. Maybe next time we do this session, we don't press record. <laughs> um, I suppose the success of this session will be on how many Slack messages uh, Dimitrios got from uh, the team, but I won't put him on the spot and ask him. Um, but apart from that, um, absolute pleasure to speak with you all. Uh, really d good discussion, surprisingly on time as well. Um, so thank you for doing that. Um, and yeah, thank you to the listeners who've made it this far. And I'm sure they'll, uh, the panel will appreciate you reaching out to them on LinkedIn if you've got anything. Um, and we'll make sure we put their, um, the URLs to LinkedIn um, on the advertisement. Uh, so thank you. Uh, 